John chapter 14 and 15 and 16 is where we're going to be today. Uh, So this is week three in a series, right? So the first week was more of a kind of like a theological foundation, big overview kind of thing um, of the the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. What's the what's the primary things that we need to think about when it comes to the Holy Spirit? and to sum up those things, when I say, when anyone says, when I say Holy Spirit, you say, well, uh, when, when anyone says Holy Spirit, what should come to mind? First thing, God, 100% God, uh, not, uh, not JV God compared to Jesus and the Father equals across the board. Um, the Holy Spirit is God. What does the Holy Spirit do? Uh, the primary role is presence. Manifesting the presence of God among his creation. And as I said earlier, where, where his presence is, his power is also there. You can't separate them. And so, uh, first week was kind of some big ideas. The second week, looking at Pentecost and how the Old Testament, uh, context, uh, would have spoken into that event. Um, so those two were really about, a lot about presence. Today and next week are going to be about empowerment. And what that looks like for us. And who better to teach us about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit than Jesus himself. And so the setting in John 14 and 15 and 16, it's, it's Thursday night of Holy Week. It is his last time to be with the, the disciples. Uh, the timeline, as far as like the order of events, it gets a little jumbled. And so we don't know if this is in the, in the upper room necessarily or maybe it was on the way. From the upper room to the Mount of Olives, we're not really sure. But it's on that Thursday night. Um, he, uh, from 13 through 17, it's just this incredible, incredible uh, passage of, of Scripture. And he is preparing them for his departure, which in part means his crucifixion and death. Um, but also his departure in terms of ascension. And so he keeps bringing up the Holy Spirit. And so... We're going to look at the three times he brings up the Holy Spirit in that final conversation with them, starting in 14, uh, 25, and 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, that's that's that, that's the first the first mention that we see there, and then he goes to expand upon some things, and he'll kind of come back to that in just a minute. But let's let's look at that the things that he says in verse twenty five. The first first thing to note is that he he calls the Holy Spirit the Helper with a capital H. Um, not only does he say this here, he says it in all three times that he talks about the Holy Spirit in this this conversation, this teaching. He calls him the helper every single time. And that alone says, says a lot. Uh, the first thing it communicates is he's looking at these disciples and he's saying, uh, you boys are going to need some help, right? Also, through the corridor of time, he's looking at us and saying, you people are going to need some help, Right? And I don't think any of us are disagreeing with him in that regard, right? Like, we've tried the self-reliant thing. We've tried the, like, 
getting to God by our own good works. We've tried to fill our lives with fame and fortune and money and all these kind of, we, we felt, we found the emptiness of life, you know, apart from him. We've, we've tried to claw our way to God and realize that it doesn't work. And so he's saying you're, you're going to need a, a helper and help is on the way. It's another one of those moments where we see desperate people and at the same moment, the very thing they're desperate for is provided, right? The helper is going to come. And that's a great summary word. Like if you're looking for like big picture, big picture words associated with the Holy Spirit, uh, God would be one of them. Presence would be one of them. Empowerment would be one of them. And right next to empowerment, you put empowerment slash helper. What is he going to help us do? Well, that's what we'll talk about in a second. But the main thing is to remember that that God is here to help us. He has not left us on our own to claw our way through and to figure out all of our own stuff. Those 12 would need help in the path ahead, and so do we. Um, and as he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, that help is on the way, and the help is coming uh, with the uh, commissioning of the Father and the Son. Like they're in this together, and the Trinity is like completely involved here. And so, just like the sending of the Son, there's the sending of the Spirit. Like God is constantly like, what do what do my people need next? Jesus says, this is what's coming next. Uh, the next gift from heaven will be the Spirit. And this should, just that much, the helper who God is going to send should create not only gratitude within us, but humility. Right? Like, in the most kind and caring way, God is like, you, you're going to need the assist here. You're going to need the divine assist here, and I'm going to provide it. And so any any form of self-righteousness or like thinking that we're so great and all that kind of stuff kind of just gets vacuumed out when we realize uh, the wording that Jesus chooses to use in a very strategic way. So the Father is going to send the Spirit in the name of Jesus to be the helper. And look what he says toward the end of verse 26. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay? Let's think about this from two perspectives. First perspective, those 12 that are listening um, in this moment. The Spirit is going to teach you all things and will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Um, he's telling them that I'm going to go away, but I'm not abandoning you. You know? And all the things that I've been teaching you and demonstrating for you and modeling for you and inviting you into, all these things are not going to stop just because I am going away. It's actually going to continue in a more powerful form, which we'll get to in just a minute. But he's saying, look, if you're worried of who's going to teach us now, who's going to show us the way, who, who's going to sh- share with us the words of life, who, who's going to do for us what you have been doing for us? The same spirit. Like what, 
What a kind and assuring thing for Jesus to do for them. And also, as they are taking the church and giving birth to what we know the, what we know the church to be, who's going to start teaching the people? Jesus has been the primary preacher, right? Well, who's going to be the preacher now? Well, you guys are going to be the preachers. Who's going to pray with people? Well, you are. Who's going to, who's going to bring the healing and the freeing from demonic possession? And who's going to do all these things? Well, you, you, you are. And you don't need to worry because the Spirit is going to teach you how to do that stuff and bring, to, bring back to your memory all the things that I have taught you, which you just pass on to others. It's a commissioning, it's an equipping, it's, a, it's an assurance of like, hey, you don't, you don't have to try to put the pieces together in a couple of days. Okay, God's going to help you do that. And some of these guys would go on to be the primary sources for the Gospels and parts of the New Testament, right? And so if you're, if you're someone who struggles with the Bible and like, well, how did, if Peter was Mark's primary source and it was decades later, how did he remember exactly what Jesus said? Jesus already tells us the answer. The Spirit's going to tell him, like, is going to give him the words. And that's how it's going to work together. I mean, there's a mystery to the divine human authorship of the Bible, of course. But Jesus is, like, kind of pulling back the curtain and be like, well, this is how it happens. You may not understand it, but the Spirit will empower all of those writers to remember the words of Jesus so that we get it right. Okay, I'm okay with that if you're okay with that. So the Spirit will teach you, and He will bring to your bring to remembrance all the words of Christ. What an assurance and a confident, like what a just what a moment for them. Then you bring us into it. the The Spirit is doing the same thing for you and I. The Spirit is is the one that is teaching us through the Scriptures, and so you you may learn. Uh, really, really well from, like, it may be just you in the Bible, it may be you in a commentary, it may be you in a study Bible, it may be you in a sermon or a podcast or a book or whatever it may be. There are all these different ways that we're learning, but every single one of them is driven by the engine of the Holy Spirit empowering you in that moment, right? The Spirit is the one actually teaching you. He's just using all these other sources to do it. But Jesus is saying, this is how you're going to learn. And in those moments when you are, you're engaged in ministry of some, some sort, you're, there's, there's something happening and, uh, all of a sudden this Bible verse is going to come out of nowhere, right? This is where it comes from. It comes from the Spirit empowering you and helping you to know that. Anyone who's ever been in a situation where you're like you're sharing your faith somehow, you're bringing Jesus into something, and you're like you just kind of feel like you're fumbling over every word and all that kind of stuff, like that's super common, normal human experience, by the way. Um, but it, sometimes we come away from that. We're like, where did that verse come from? Where did I? I it's like I knew what to say. I might, I might have not even not been super articulate, but. I didn't even know I knew that verse. I didn't know I remembered that point from that teaching that I heard, all those kinds of things. Yeah, because the Spirit is there bringing to remembrance the words of Christ, the words of the people of God. He is there with us in the moment bringing those things back to mind. And so what Jesus is saying to the disciples has a very specific application for them and a more broad one for us, but they're really the same thing. 
that the empowerment that the people of God need to learn and to share the truth of who God is with people is going to be provided for us by the helper because we can't do it by ourselves, right? Why would we want to? This this, this is big right here. Like, this is not just for the preachers and the missionaries right here, okay? This is universal for all of us who are in Christ. This is true. That God has sent you a helper to teach you and to bring to remembrance the things that of the things of Jesus, the things of God, the truth of Scripture, what you need in the moment, He is there to bring that to you. That's pretty awesome. And he could have stopped there, but he's like, no, I'm just going to keep making it better. Okay, so turn to the next chapter. Go to chapter 15. He says almost the same thing, but he but it kind of alters it a little bit and kind of deepens the meaning in some ways. Verse 26 in chapter 15. When the helper comes, there's your helper, capital H again, whom I will send to you from the Father, okay, The spirit of truth proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. Now, some of that is the same as 14. In some ways, he's added some stuff to it. Let's look at the... It calls him the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. Now, if you're around Living Hope uh, for a a little while, there's a couple of names that get quoted, uh, get kind of thrown out there. You might hear... Uh, N.T. Wright, you might hear John Ortberg, James Bryan Smith, uh, Dallas Willard, okay? Um, Dallas Willard is my, my personal favorite philosopher. He was a philosophy professor at USC, um, very respected in the secular and sacred worlds, both. Um, he came and spoke at LSU like 12, 13 years ago, and uh, all of those like philosophy professors at LSU uh, who think who are like I don't know they think that they're awesome they were lined up to get Dallas to sign their books like it was like he's one of those like he's a somebody in that whole world and um, incredibly incredibly brilliant and had a way of looking at the faith that I think has made the church better Um, anyway one of the things that he said that has always stuck with me is that uh, truth is that which corresponds to reality. And that's that's how we have to think it. We have to connect those things together. So his analogy that one of the, that I've heard him use before is like the there's a if the statement is made the the broom is in the closet, then the only way to know if that's a true statement or a false statement is. See if the broom is in the closet, right? Seems pretty pretty simple, right? But that's how you verify and know what is true is you have to look at what's real. And sometimes we can do that and sometimes we cannot do that, you know? So we live in a world, especially right now, where there's so much going on that we aren't sure what's true, what's false, and what's what reality is and, and who to trust as a source for that reality. That's made us all st- like take some steps back and kind of made us mis- very mistrusting as a society, hasn't it? Like even even the last week or two, this 
this super intense debate over the the coronavirus. You know, did it start in the lab or was it like a pile of dead bats? You know, that's what we're trying to figure out. And I don't know if it's a pile of dead bats. I just said that, but like the the meat market, did it come from a bat or did it come from a lab? And we don't know the reality of that, do we? And so there's all these sources that are telling us different things and different whatevers. We, it's not like the broom where we can just go open the closet and say the broom is in the closet or it's not in the closet. And that's, we have these kinds of issues, but there's hundreds and thousands of these kinds of things. What is, what is real? That's what we're trying to figure out. And what's true that corresponds with that reality versus what is not true, um, there's just so much to try to figure out. We have this big global, all this big global stuff to figure out and these really like localized things to figure out and everything in between. These disciples are sitting there and they obviously didn't have the the global internet stuff to kind of like worry about. Theirs were very localized. But they still had to figure out what what's true. Like what is corresponding with reality? That's the most important thing that we're trying to figure out. It's not about alignment with any sort of, of political or military kind of thing. It's not, it's not about this or this or this or this. It's just we just need to know what's real. That's it. And so Jesus says that the spirit of truth is going to be sent from the Father to the people of God. The spirit that knows what corresponds with reality is coming to you. And has come to us. The spirit that knows where the coronavirus originated, right? The spirit that knows those kinds of things that we're curious about. But the most important thing that the spirit of truth can bring to us is, in reality, who is Jesus? That's the most important thing. Can we agree on that? There really is no more important issue on earth to figure out. We like to pile a bunch of like really important things in there with that one, but let's just separate them all out and say that that's really the most important thing. What is reality in terms of who Jesus is? And here he is saying the spirit of truth is coming to you. The Father is sending the spirit to you so that you will know what is true and what is real. What is he going to do? Look at the end of that verse. He will bear witness about me. What does that mean? Well, you are in a courtroom and you're, you are a witness. You get sworn in. You sit in the box, apparently. And you're like, I, this is what I saw. This is my firsthand like, eyewitness account of what happened. really no different. The Spirit will bear witness about Jesus. So, what does that look like in real life? I think it looks something like this. Jesus is proclaimed, exalted, preached, talked about, referenced, um, and, and whatever the context is. And the Spirit is there saying, yep, I saw it. He really did do that. He really 
He really is that good. He really did die. He really did rise again. He really did heal. He really did bring liberty to the captives. He he really loves you. I've seen it. I was there. And in those times when that is happening, the Spirit is at work bringing empowerment to people who are listening in order to verify and vet what is being communicated. Which means that, now think about your, yourself for a second. When, when you heard about Jesus, and you began to have this understanding of his beauty and of your neediness and of his invitation to leave your neediness and come into his beauty. So place faith in him as your savior, as your Lord, as your king, as your friend, as your brother, all that. In that moment, the empowerment for you to see that and say yes to that is because the Spirit was at work in that moment. You might not have heard the Spirit. You might not have sensed that. You're probably just kind of caught up in who Jesus is, which is exactly what the Spirit was going for. But he's bearing witness and empowering us to respond to those things. He's basically saying, this is true. This is true. This is true. This is reality. This is how good God is. This is how much he loves you. This is what he has for you. We needed the helper in order for that to happen. And Jesus says, I have fantastic news for you. I'm sending the helper. The father is sending the helper. Um, You're going to have what you need. That as the truth about me is revealed and the spirit is bearing witness to that, you, you will have what you need to be able to respond to it. Jesus talks about some other things, and then he circles back to it. Look in chapter sixteen. Now he gets a little more in a little more detail. So he's not changing things each time. It's almost like he's kind of expanding it a little bit, time and time to time. As as in theory, they're starting to process like, "Hey, this dude's going away. He's going somewhere," and he keeps saying that it's going to be okay. And I'm not totally sure what that means. And so Jesus comes back again. Let me read the, the whole passage and then we'll kind of hack it into bits uh, just for a second into, in order to understand it a little bit better. Verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Here's, in other words, here's reality. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. 
He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, there's a lot in that. Um, Let's zero in for a second on verse 8. So the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then he expands a little bit on each of those three things. But first, uh, on the word convict, like we we have such a like criminal justice system, like understanding of con- like that word convict, that we tend to think um, kind of in a courtroom setting. Um, there's some debate over translating that word into English. Uh, because it means convict, but in the sense of like convince. So when a jury convicts a criminal, they say, we are convinced that you did it, that kind of thing. So it's almost more about convincing, and then another sense of, of the word, sometimes this word is translated as expose. So we can kind of press all those together, like that, he, that the sphere is going to expose some things, to convince us and bring conviction about these things. And he gives us three like three specific things. He says sin and judge sin and righteousness and judgment. Um so the first one, so sin is concerning sin because verse nine, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Like there needs to be a convincing that sin is a thing. So that idea that like, hey, the the earth, like things are broken. Whose whose fault is it? What what went wrong? Are people just inherently terrible? Or you know, that whole you know ancient discussion. And so, Jesus has a part of what he has been showing them is is that I mean, you go back to the very beginnings of the scriptures. Like sin is the origin of all this. And so a part of what the Spirit does is convicts those who don't believe in Jesus and what his, in his teachings and who he is, um, is conviction over sin, exposing and convincing us that, hey, the problem is not an external problem. And it's not just a behavior problem. The problem is within us. So the Spirit convicts those who don't know Christ. The Spirit also convicts those who do know Christ. Of sin, And so any sort of falling short of the glory of God, the Spirit is there exposing that to us. And this says in verse 10, it says concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Okay, now you think about who's listening. These are 12 men who have lived side by side with Jesus for like three years or so. And he has been constantly showing them what righteousness looks like in like in real life. He has been the embodiment of the righteousness of God. This is what holiness in action looks like. But what happens now? He said, "I'm not going to be with you anymore." Like where where's the standard now? Well, the Spirit is going to bring the standard. So you have two two uh, ideas so far. You have sin and you have righteousness. One of the things about the life of Jesus is that he, uh, it says in Isaiah 53 that men uh, hid their faces from him. And one commentary I read was saying that, yeah, that's, that's because he, he was 
it was so exposing to be around him. Like your sin was so exposed that you just like didn't want to even look at him. And so their whole ministry, everything that's been going on with these disciples, he's been the picture of righteousness, which has been exposing this sin. Like this, these two things have been happening the whole time, right? Like this is such a common part of their ministry is look who you were created to be and look what sin has done to you and broken you. And the third thing he says concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Okay, what does most of Jesus' ministry entail? There's there's preaching, there's preaching, teaching, there's um, like all these healing miracles, and, uh, and then there's like there's other stuff too. That's a lot of it, right? Preaching is teaching. He's freeing people from demonic possession. He's healing uh, broken like the brokenness of our physical bodies. Well, they have watched this happen over and over and over again, where here's the righteousness of Christ, here's the sin that it's exposing, and then they keep coming where like the enemy is at work, and Jesus is saying the enemy is going to be not only judged, but held under that judgment. You haven't seen it yet? That's what's coming in a couple of days with the cross and everything. But here's what the Spirit is going to be doing. All of these three things exposing this, convincing the world that this is true, um, bringing about this conviction that here's how you were meant to live, sin has broken you, and this enemy that that started all this off has been brought under judgment and is being held under judgment, that he's not really the problem anymore. This is what, as he's going around, he's freeing people from from demonic possession. He's showing where the power lies. All three of those things in moving parts have been a part of their three years of ministry. And if Jesus goes away, are all these going to stop happening? These have been so important for people to see who they were meant to be, where their brokenness comes from, and what's going to happen to the the enemy who is just making everything worse all the time. What's going to happen now? Jesus is saying, the Spirit of God is going to help you by exposing all of these things, by convincing people that this is what reality looks like, and bringing about that conviction. See, they've been watching this happen through the ministry of Jesus and probably giving him the credit for it. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's incorrect. But what Jesus knows is what's happening in all those moments is that the power and the Spirit of God is going and bringing about that conviction. The power of God is exposing those things and breaking those things out and helping people see the reality of what the gospel is holding out to them. The Spirit has been doing all that. They just didn't really know that's what was happening. And so the big picture is, he's saying, even though I'm going away, the ministry will continue to happen. Because that same spirit will be at work within you and among you. And you're going to need help to do it. And you know the story going forward of the church and everything that was to happen and the empowerment that would come when it was time to teach and to preach and to heal and to endure. Jesus is trying to help them see, even though I'm going away, the important things will remain in place. And in fact, it's to your advantage that all this happens. And so what, what do you do when all this has been exposed, right? When you have become convinced that, that 
I am broken and in need of redemption. Jesus is the one who has come to free me from this. Satan is not really the problem and he's held under judgment. When you become convinced of what he has exposed concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, what do you do? Look at verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. When this conviction is there, what do you do with it? Well, you just follow him into what he has next. He's not going to get everything all stirred up and then just leave you alone to fend for yourself. I told the early service this story. The the second time I remember ever teaching the Bible was on a mission trip. And they said, hey, we need you to present the gospel to all these kids. And so there's like a hundred of these kids. We're in Mexico and uh, we're piled into this room. And we had been making these uh, these bracelets with them that had the six colored beads on there where you would tell the salvation story. You guys might remember those. The first bead is black. And so you start off super dark, right? It's the first thing is like you were a sinner and you're going to hell without Jesus. You know, that's like the first point of it. And then you quickly try to move to the next color, which I don't even remember what it was because before I got to the next color, uh, one of the moms stuck their head in the door and said something. I don't know what it was, but every kid got up and like ran out. I was like, best gospel presentation ever, right? We just did the black bead. They don't know the other colors. They don't know anything else. They just know the bad stuff. It was terrible. What do you do when, when all this stuff has been exposed? Well, you follow the Spirit into what's next. And so much of that is where you and I come in, right? Like someone, someone realizes the beauty of Jesus and they, and they give their life to Him as their Lord and as their Savior. And like, what now? And the Spirit's like, let me, let me lead you. Let me lead you through all the others who have gone down this road before. That's where the, the, the programming of the church, for lack of a better term, is so important. That's why community groups and spiritual mentoring and even uh, like eating with people I don't know. And like, that's where all of these things, the worship services, the, uh, all these things are so important. Because when someone realizes like, that, that reality that the Spirit has exposed to them and they follow him into what's next, guess what a part of, is a part of what's next? It's supposed to be us. That's why healthy churches are, are so important is because someone, they, they can't like realize the beauty of the gospel and then not know what to do next. That's where we get to be a part of what the Spirit is doing. Like as He is leading them also through us, He's also leading us in, into what is next. Like what do you, where do you go from there? That's where discipleship becomes so important. That's where all, all of, the, of the, the teaching and the learning and that's where, where baptism and the Lord's Supper and like all these things become so integral, especially in that first little way where you're, where you're trying to figure out this whole following Jesus thing, it's all initiated by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit and led little by little by little by little by the Spirit. So verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, then He will guide you into all the truth. He will he will guide us. He doesn't just stir everything up and then run away. He guides us into what is next. And you and I get to join Him in that. Then verse 13, he says, he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. 
and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Which is another way of saying, when the Spirit convinces you of these things and guides you into the truth and what is next, and as you're learning to walk in that truth, it's not just the Spirit that's like doing stuff. That you have the full Father, Son, Spirit, Trinity connected to you, empowering your steps and your efforts and your words. The Spirit is hearing from the Father and hearing from the Son and, and, and connecting those things to us and guiding us forward and declaring to us the things that are to come. You don't know what's next. I don't know what's next. But we have a divine helper who is outside of time, who is able to walk us into whatever lies ahead. You're not on your own. You've not been left to fend for yourself. You, may not, you might not always feel empowered. You might not always take full advantage of what God is offering to you. There's a lot to be said for that part of it. But God has not left us on our own. And that is beautiful. Finally, verse 14. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare or announce it, proclaim it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit of God is is not holding out on us. I think I said it last week. That You go back to Genesis 3. That's what Adam and Eve, that's where, that's where the wheels came off of everything. Because they became convinced that God was withholding. And that made them think they could do a better job. And they stopped trusting him. That's... That's the original lie, right? God's holding out on you. You can do a better job yourself. Same lie still works with us. But this, like what Jesus is telling them and us here, is that God's not holding back. He's not withholding anything from us in terms of his presence and his empowerment. There's a lot to be said for, you know, why why this and why this and why this. But at the end of the day, we just we have to know it's not like we're, in that whole situation, we're the problem. God's not the problem. The helper has come. And empowerment, like the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is, at, is alive in you and in me and in our church and in our world. And that should produce a lot of things within us. Probably faith and hope and love at the very top of that list, right? That should make us have a, like, that should make us trust God so much more. It should bring about the hope of knowing that our future is secure, that Jesus is alive, and the Holy Spirit bears witness to that. He's like, I saw it. I made it happen, actually. And to love the Lord and to realize the love that he has for you and for me and what this communicates to us. It's just, this story is filled with love.
sometimes theological things can seem a little heady, you know, and but man, this this is all love. Everything that he's saying is love. God loved the world so much that he would send his only son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he also sent his spirit as a helper to empower his sons and his daughters to walk in the fullness of who they were created to be. Sin doesn't get the final word. Satan definitely doesn't get the final word on you and on me. And so whatever it is that you have brought into the room today, whatever is going on, the spirit is active in it. Like the resurrection power of God is active in it. And I hope that this is an encouragement to to keep the hand like keep our hands open, you know, to not be closed fisted with whatever is going on. Have our hands open and indicating that our hearts are open and that our um, we're not clenching tightly to our own way. They're recognizing the goodness that Jesus communicates to us. So I hope that this is an encouragement to you. And so as we have come to do in a post-COVID world, we're just going to, we used to do communion and do different things in response, but we're, we're still going to stay in the groove of, we're just going to sing it out. And however this is helpful to you to sing or to pray, uh, to know that God is active and moving in the room, I hope it's good for you. So let's stand together as we sing a little bit together before we part ways. Lord, I know that the the application of this kind of stuff varies a lot in a room like this and over the live stream. And none of our lives look exactly the same. And so how this is put into motion it will vary. But I love the fact that we can rest in knowing that your full presence is with us which means your full power is with us and that you're not withholding or monitoring gauging how much of that you're going to unleash in our lives that you you stand ready and god i pray for whatever whatever it is that um that's in our minds you know that's whatever is holding us back from truly just welcoming your your power to be unleashed within us into these different situations, into the stuff that we're walking through, the things we're facing. Whatever it is that's standing in the way, um, I pray that that is what you would bring exposure to this morning. You still concern, you still convict, and convince and expose in regard to sin and righteousness, and judgment. You still want us to live lives that do not fall short of the glory of God. And so we want to be very faithful to recognize you, pointing those things out and letting walking us away from that kind of bondage and into freedom. So God, as we pray, as we sing, just kind of let these moments be what they're supposed to be. I pray that your 
your presence would be recognized as I believe it already is and that your empowerment would be sensed uh, in some really beautiful ways this morning as we humble ourselves under your mighty hand.